When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another edition of the show, episode 305. It's what May 11th, 2022. We're like basically in the middle of the year. It feels like, and that and that was fast. I guess we're still in the first half a little bit, but but yeah, things are rocking. We're cruising. We're with uh, Kyle Klingman. Kyle, how you doing? Doing great, man. It's the final show of the week, and there's always a sadness that comes with that because it means I don't get to see until Monday, but. What a great way to close it out with our guest today, Marcus. Yeah, and we we got we got lots of time coming up in the near future. World Team Trials, Final Acts. We're, we'll have plenty of time to get together. But uh, yeah, let's bring him on. He looks like Maui <laughs> from <laughs> Moana. His words, not mine. Maybe uh, it's your 2022 U.S. Open champion, Mike Machiavello. Mike, how you doing? I'm good, man. Good to see you guys. Yeah, good to see you too. Um, does that bother you? Maui. This is what the Maui. Yeah, I think nah, you said don't call me. Actually, I got, I got Maui. I've gotten Jason Momoa. I've gotten uh, uglier version of The Rock from some of my other buddies with long hair. I think James Green sent me some video of The Rock with actual hair. It was like a young Rock. He goes, "This you." <laughs> so I've been getting it. I've been getting all types of uh, nicknames and pictures. I got freaking uh. What is it? Jimmy Superfly Snooker? Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Oh, he's one, of, too. he's one of my favorites, man. He wore no <laughs> shoes, jumped off the top rope. It's badass. Yeah, yeah. So was it like, were you one day just like, I'm going to grow my hair out? Or was it just like, it was just never a time for a haircut, and then all of a sudden you had, your hair got, your hair got long? Yeah, so pretty much um, it was during COVID, and I, I was, it was slowly getting longer on the top, and I was just kind of getting like a, short fade and keeping some length on top. And then it just slowly started getting longer and longer. And then I, I wasn't getting a haircut. And then I was like, you know what, but I'm just going to keep growing it out and see what it, uh, see what it looks like. And then it went through a couple of awkward stages. And I mean, it's, you know, it's still not the best looking hair, but it's getting there, you know? And um, I think the more I shampoo and condition it, the better it looks. So I just got to make sure I stay on top of that. And, um, but yeah, it just kind of just happened. It wasn't really ever something I had really planned. I just kind of never really pictured myself with long hair. So I don't even know how I ended up here. So there you go. So it didn't plan it. It just ha- kind of happened. I, no, I know in high school, I wanted to have hair like Troy Palomalu because I played safety in high school. Uh-huh. And I had the Troy Palomalu fathead in my room <laughs> when I was growing up. Yeah. Cause uh, like I said, I played safety and he was my favorite player at the position in I was just, uh, yeah, but my mom was like, yeah, n- absolutely not. So <laughs> now, now you're all, you're your own man. You can do what you want. Yeah. So, um, okay. Um, um, 
What's new with you? So, like, I, I know we've done, we've been on had a few shows. It's always a fun time. You always tell me about books you're reading, or like yeah. putting the right food eye level, or or I don't know. Give me give me some yeah. new insight into. Well, All right. Um. So one thing that I've brain. been kind of like uh, trying to do a better job of of doing is just kind of being hyper aware of where my attention and my focus is at. Um. So, obviously, I'm really good buddies with uh, Khalid Desan. The, He's got KD trained. He just started doing, and um, so I'll, I'll help him out sometimes. And I'll go up to Yonkers and and uh, you know, so stuff that I tell him to kind of you know do with the kids and stuff like that. And he, I mean, he's really their coach. I just kind of help here and there when I can. But um, <clears throat> you know, I've known him for a long time just because he's an Iowa style guy. I came up in John Deagle's club with Kevin Jack, Sam Spino, Jacob Camacho, and so like I was teammates with those guys, and they would come up and they would do camps for their old club coach and then they would bring like a guy or two we would just all hang out and then that's how i met him just because he was there at the time and so we've had a friendship for a long time now and um but so there's this book that i've been reading i think it's called like can't remember the exact title of it. it's called like peak attention it's written by like uh an, an md or, or someone who's got a doctorate in psychology and they've done research and studies specifically pertaining to someone's ability to focus um keep their attention and how easily distracted they are. And one thing that <clears throat> I've learned from the book so far is that the human mind is designed to be distracted for the purpose of survival, right? So you think about, you know, we're having a conversation right now and our focus and attention is right here in the conversation, in the interview. But if gunshots were about to pop off and, you know, boom, immediately your, your attention's redirected for the purpose of survival. You immediately start thinking about what I need to do to make sure that I'm going to survive whatever's going on. Cause that's crazy. That's not normal. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I used to think that, okay, I just got to be super, super focused and locked in and never get distracted. But from what I'm learning from the book is that's a, uh, impossible. It's, uh, that doesn't mean your ability to focus can improve drastically. I think it can but it's not a focus in a way that's completely eliminating your ability to get distracted. It's focusing in a way that allows you to immediately recognize when your attention shifts from where you want it to be, being aware of that and recognizing that and immediately bringing back. So if my attention goes somewhere else, it's not, it takes me a minute or two to realize that I'm focusing on something I don't need to be focusing on. It's, within 15 to 30 seconds or a minute max that I realize like, Oh, why am I thinking about this? My mind and my attention and my focus need to be here. Boom. I bring it back immediately. Now I'm still locked in and I'm still focused on whatever it is I need to be doing. And so um, just having a hyper awareness of where your attention is, your focus is at and think of your focus and attention as like a flashlight, right? So <laughs> you have a flashlight, you turn on the flashlight and there's a beam of light and I shine it on the microphone. Well, that's where my attention's at. But if I want to shine it to a different part of the room that's dark, well, that's where I'm, my attention and the focus is at. And so think of it as that beam of light and being pulled in a million different directions. And when you recognize, okay, this is what I was supposed to be focusing on looking at my flashlights over here. Now, let me move my flashlight back to where it's supposed to be back to where I needed to be. And so I think that just kind of analogy kind of helped help me put it in perspective. It's just kind of made me really think like, okay, boom, where's my flashlight? Where's my flashlight? Right. And so um, how am I training in a way that is helping me just 
do a better job of recognizing when my attention is shifted from being present, from focusing on winning the next position, from just wrestling. Am I focused on the environment, the stands, the tournament, the round, the opponent, um, the weekend, how my body feels, whatever it is, there's so many different things that could pull your attention in, in a million different directions. It's like, if I allow my attention to just get pulled in a million different directions, I feel like my performance is going to suffer. And if it doesn't, then it's just going to be really hard to replicate, like performing at a high level, very, very consistently. And that's ultimately the goal is I want to perform to the best of my ability all the time, not sometimes. And so in order to do that, my focus has to be really, really strong. My ability to focus has to be really, really strong. And I have to be hyper aware of where my focus and attention is at and redirecting it immediately whenever I do feel it going somewhere else than it shouldn't be. Can, can you describe, and maybe this is like, it's not something you can do in words, your focus at an event and like what you're I don't know, like <clears throat> thinking about or focusing on or, or how to exactly ask this, but like it's a long two days, right? You can't sit around, like being focused on the, on the event maybe doesn't mean thinking about it the whole time, right? Right. Um, so it'll vary, uh, individual to individual. So, yeah, but I'm um, talking about you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, individual match. You mean opponent? Well, individual match the day, because your body's going to feel different on day two than it will on day one. Um, there's going to be, <clears throat> um, you got day two weigh-ins. So the night of day one is going to be different from the night from the day before. Um, and so it's just, <clears throat> it changes and you have to just kind of okay, what, what do I need to be focusing on today and right now in this moment? So if I win my first round match and I felt phenomenal going into it, you know, then, all right, well, maybe after the match it was uh, a barn burner and I feel a little bit sore and it's like, oh, man, shoulders kind of tweaked a little bit. Like, I don't know, I'm kind of worried about it. And so it's like rather than just worrying about your shoulder, immediately start thinking about, okay, what do I need to do right now? How much time do I have between now and my next match? And what can I do between now and then? to make sure that this feels as good as it possibly can feel given the limitations. So that way, when I go into my next match, I'm not focused on this. I'm focused on wrestling. Yeah. Does that make sense? And yeah. so like for me, <clears throat> it's all about just making sure that I, I feel ready to go, ready to compete physically. Um, regardless of whether I'm banged up or not, how can I feel the best I can feel given my body's limitation? So whether that's a cold tub in between rounds and going to the ice machine and filling it up with a bucket of ice a bunch of times and going to the bathtub and doing a cold tub for 10 minutes and throwing on some normal tech boost and just resting, staying off my feet and, and getting some fuel in me and then just making sure I'm not overdoing it. So that way, okay. <clears throat> timing. Okay. When do I get down to the floor? So that way I can start warming up. You know, I don't want to be there for two hours just hanging around and I know myself too. So I like to talk, right? So you guys <laughs> know me well enough that if I see somebody, I'm going to catch up. I'm going to talk. Hey, how's it going? So like, I've realized, yo, I can't do that because I'll be down there all day yeah, and I'll be walking around on my feet, not recovering, not resting at all. So it's like, as soon as I'm done competing, I got to go back up to my return because if not, I'm be yapping away all day and then I might feel a little more drained than I should or, yeah. or than I need to be. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's talk about, um, I guess, the second day. I think it was a Sunday, right, at the US Open. You only got one match. But yeah. like. You don't have to march me through the whole thing, but like, what do you do that day? Uh, you got weigh-ins. Um, so you weigh in and then, uh, for me, I try to eat, uh, 
a bigger breakfast because I know I have all day. So day one, I'll eat a little bit lighter. Uh, I'll try and just make sure I, I get good, healthy fuel. And I'll eat a little bit lighter because within a couple hours, I'll have to wrestle. Um, and then I'll have like a smaller lunch too, just because I don't want to be too heavy. Uh, like I don't want to feel heavy. I'm not worried about my weight. I just don't want to feel heavy. I want to be, I want to be feeling good. But day two, when you're in the finals and you have all day, I eat whatever I want at breakfast. Yeah. I just make sure it's good. Um, and, uh, so that way I have a bunch of fuel for later in the day I'm recovering. And then I, I try and stay off my feet as much as I can. So I might try and get a nap. I'll do, I did a cold tub. Um, I did, uh, have these Norma tech boots, the inflatable leg sleeves. So I did that. Um, I'll probably stretch in the morning and it's just doing whatever I got to do to make sure that by like five o'clock, uh, I feel really, really good and ready to go. Yeah. Um, so we have this, this U.S. Open Finals match, I believe. Nico, do we have that match? Can we, can we pull that up and watch that? And so, um, yeah, do you feel – I mean, everything you just described kind of leads us to this moment, right? Um, we can just let this play whenever we're ready and just kind of talk – first of all, how would you feel? What Joe Rao, you got a Greco guy head pinching his way to the finals. Um, <laughs> right? I mean, he's, he's got a pretty nasty head pinch. But uh, – how you feeling? Um, maybe walking through this match, whatever you want to say. Yeah. So like right before, so right here, I kind of, I kind of knew he was, uh, he's got a really heavy snap. Um, and so for me, I just try to be really active with my hands. I felt pretty comfortable in the underhook position and, and preventing him from digging underhooks and stuff. Uh -huh. um, just cause I feel like that's something I've just felt more comfortable with recently. So I've been trying to just get there more just because, um, <clears throat> I feel like uh, it limits my opponent's offense. And then when we wrestled at the Feral, I didn't really get go to the two-on-one at all. I was trying to do a better job, like, working from space. And he just stayed down the whole time at the Feral. So here, I tried to engage a lot more in the hand fight um, and just be more active with my hands. And um, I was just kind of taking what I could, and I was just trying to control the inside better and then just move them more just trying to get off to an angle. So I didn't mind going to two on one here just cause that got me off to the side a little bit more. Um, if you notice, like, um, I'll try and, uh, keep him off my head as best as I can, like off my collar. Yeah. And, um, try, I try to go for a cross pick there just cause I, I was, uh, feeling that during the weekend I had to hit one on Tim Dudley and, I gotten close a couple other times in that match. And so I was trying to see like, Oh, maybe I can hit a cross pick on Joe in the final. So I was kind of looking for that <clears throat> there. didn't get it obviously. And, um, and so again, I'm just, uh, just being very active in the hand fight. So it was funny. Tim, Tim McCall was like, yeah, so I used to do a little bit of Greco in the first period. <laughs> and, uh, but I feel like with Joe, you know, everybody's like, ah, oh, don't get underneath them. That's where he wants you to be. That's where he wants you to be. And it's like, you know, what do you, you know, how am I supposed to score? So it's like, I want to be <laughs> active, but I also don't want to, you know, get underneath and get caught, underneath. caught, you know? So, um, was just trying to be a lot more tactical and pretty aggressive though. But, um, see right there, you see me moving them off to an angle a little bit, try to get some motion going, but, um, yeah, my, my game plan was really just, be incredibly active in the hand fight and just be very, very aggressive, try and control the inside as much as I can and um, control the center. So like 
I try and keep my butt to the center of the mat the whole time. Anytime I start getting to the zone, I immediately am working on just trying to recognize that and immediately circling back. So right now I'm in the center of the mat again. So I feel like if <clears throat> I did a good job with that, when there's no shots, for me, if I'm controlling the center of the mat and I'm working my opponent to the zone, even if there's not a whole lot of offense going on, he's the one who looks more passive. And so if I'm controlling the hand fight and I'm taking a couple opportunities here and there, but I'm working him to the edge and controlling the center of the mat, he'll get hit with the caution and passivity call first. And so that's what obviously ended up happening. Um, but the, the bad part of that is when they do that, you're automatically going to get hit in the second period. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there were short times. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to try and really commit to a shot there and kind of got close, but um, ended up in that seatbelt position. I wanted to try and run them over. And, um, if we would have had more time, I felt like I was kind of like I had the advantage there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like you're um, Cause I started getting around them a little bit. Um, but then here they were just telling me just stay active, keep coming. Let's get a shot off and score takedown. And, um, there wasn't a whole lot of like anything crazy. And, uh, I wasn't too threatened by, um, offensive opportunities for him just because, uh, from the feral, I felt like he had a tough time getting in my legs and I didn't really feel like he was going to shoot that much. I felt like his main focus was snap, get him underneath me, snap, get him underneath me, fake, try and get him underneath me as best I can. And, um, I just knew that if I did get stuck underneath, have a sense of urgency right here, just kind of make sure that I don't get stuck in that front headlock position and I would be fine. So I wasn't, I never really felt panicked or worried at all. Uh-huh. Um, and I just felt pretty comfortable and I was just trying to pick and choose my opportunities. So here, um, Obviously, I'm on the shot clock. I'm not trying to force anything, so I'm totally cool with giving up a point here. Um, do I want to? No. If an opportunity presents itself within 30 seconds, I'll take it. But if it doesn't, then I'm not going to force it. So just kind of looking. And then here, <clears throat> I try to go for an outside step to the left side off of this two-on-one. So I'll start working for a two-on-one here. Um, I don't know if it's here or if it's like a little bit within the next 30 seconds, but – um, I'll work to it. And then, uh, I'm, I'm, I ended up shooting across body. So it wasn't very good and I didn't get close, but then as I come up and recover, I go right back to it and I'm on the same side of the body that I'm attacking to. And I end up getting underneath. So right here, you'll see it here. It comes. Here's the first attempt. Boom. Didn't get it. I come right back up. I'm closer to the same side of the body and now I'm underneath. So then I just realized, okay, I'm in, I got to capitalize. So I just kind of uh, just went all out for the takedown just because I knew I was like, all right, it's, I haven't gotten his legs that much yet, so make sure I, I, uh, I just finish and capitalize because um, he holds position pretty well. So, yeah, great time. Then after effort. that, he was, he was, it was so weird. So, like, this part of the match, it felt like he wasn't even trying. You see how his arms are dangling a little bit? Yeah. So, imagine – yeah, I don't know. He's just kind of like playing possum a little bit. He's not really doing anything. In his hand fight, you can't really see it, but it, it feels like he's just like limp. Weird. Like he's not even trying. There's a shot attempt, and I wasn't really worried about it, but I was just really confused. I was like, does he want me to shoot? 
<laughs> you know, it's like, well, if he wants me to shoot, that's probably what I shouldn't do. So then I was like, I'll just hold position. And, and I was just confused because there was like a minute left and he was just letting time go by. And so uh, I kind of really was, didn't really know how to play it. So I was just like, let me just kind of stay in good position, hold it, be active with my hands. And, like and the- if I like, can get a counter, get a counter. But then I started dancing at the end, trying to be cool, like <laughs> on the edge here. And uh, you'll see me come up out of my stance, come out of position, and then just start kind of moving side to side. And then he gets in on a shot. <laughs> yeah. And like, so, I can't lose this way. Yeah, literally, I was like, you got to be kidding me. I got 30 seconds left. Like, And so I uh, was able to come here. And um, he gets up. Joe's so funny, man. He gets up. He goes, you didn't expose, did you? He starts smiling. <laughs> and I'm like, no, nah, I don't think so. So we're kind of like, we're laughing at this point. Kind of smiling. I was like. I don't think so, man. I was like, I was like, I was like, I definitely got the tube. And then the ref comes over and you could tell he started smiling too. Cause he could hear us like just joking around about it. And he's just kind of, I don't, he's just hoping that it was a score, but he, I think he kind of knew. And so he at that point we were just kind of like talking yeah. back and forth. And I think kind of pull through the matches over and just kind of waiting for the refs to kind of confirm that. But, yeah, Joe's funny, man. Yeah, and that's the end. So we can we can pull this video down. Um, yeah, but yeah, I was a, he's hey, a funny. He's a I funny gotta, guy. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask a question here, real quick? Of course. Uh, was it strange to you when you got your stop sign that it was John Stefanowicz who gave that to you? Uh, uh yeah, a little bit. You know, because they had that uh, that whole fiasco going at Olympic trials. Um, uh, but not strange in a bad way. Um. You know, I have a good relationship with both of those guys. Uh, I'm on the AAC, the Athlete Advisory Committee with John, and and uh, he's the the Greco rep on the executive committee, and I'm the men's freestyle rep on the executive committee for USAW. So we spend a lot of time together on on Zoom calls and, and meetings. And uh, I, I knew he was going to be the one giving me the stop sign just because of, like uh, – He's in the Marine Corps and they're the ones handing it out. So I thought uh, that was cool because, you know, up here, you know, it's not some random, you know, Marine that I don't have a personal relationship with him and he stops on. It's a, it's a peer of mine that I have a good friendship with. So I thought that was cool. And uh, Terrence too, who was the other Marine, who's also a good buddy of mine, who's a North Carolina native is, is also a friend. So I thought that was cool that, you know, two of my friends were able to give me my first stop sign. And um, yeah, I wasn't really thinking about, whatever happened between Joe and John, whenever I was thinking about it, I was like, Oh, this is sweet. It's my guy, John being able to give me a stop sign. So, yeah. um, him and Terrence. but yeah, that's a great question. Cause I know there was a lot of controversy between, uh, those two for the Olympic trials match. Yep. Um, I, I did have one co- more question about the route. You, you said, uh, well, one, I know when you were talking, there was about a minute left and said he was kind of wasn't really was even like pulling. He was just kind of limp. Did that happen for like the entirety of the last minute or was that just for like 10, 20? He took seconds? a couple of attempts. Uh, but even it, it was weird, even like his body language, like his face, he was kind of just kind of like he, he kind of did one of those. And I'm like, is he like giving up? Is he just letting me take the win? Like I, it was, it was really odd. It was very odd. And then 
he got in on the outside step and I was like, oh, he's just low on me to sleep, you know? And yeah. he did a good job with that. So sure. I got to make sure I don't uh, get low to sleep like that again. Cause well, stop uh, dancing. <laughs> uh, so you said he's, uh, you know, he has really heavy hands or heavy snap. I think he has that or something yeah, like that. What is there anything else that like sets him, his feel apart from, you know, with the Greco background? His hand fight is actually really good, man. Like, He's really good at hand fighting. Um, you know, I, I wrestle, you know, other freestyle guys, and, and, you know, they have great leg attacks and good setups. Um, but sometimes you can not be the best at hand fighting. You can attack from space, or you might be good at hand fighting for one or two of your setups, and you might hand fight just to to set up one or two two shots, but – Joe's just hand fighting is just incredibly active. He does a great job pressuring forward. And he also just does a really good job being very aggressive and physical in his hand fight. And so he's constantly moving you. He's, he's boom active. He's either going two on one, he's getting to an underhook. Um, he's always controlling something. And so uh, that's what it feels like to me. So I feel like if you're not equally active back, then He's going to probably control the hand fight. And you can control the hand fight and still lose a match just because maybe someone's leg attacks are a little bit better and they have a good, do a good job with they're, – they're really world-class at one setup and, and moving you for that one attack. But I think just overall his hand fighting is really good. All right. So this obviously now leads into world team trials. You'll be sitting as – not sitting, but you'll be the number one seed. Um, I wish I was sitting. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you how do you mentally prepare? Phys- maybe physically, but I think you know people understand the physical maybe more than mental. But maybe maybe not even right. Yeah. Uh, how do I mentally prepare? Do you think about the different potential athletes? Do you do you think about game plans or just uh, having a good understanding of the field and who you might hit? I watch the first three Rocky movies and then I just am ready to go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nah, I, uh, I, I think honestly, I, I don't really change a whole lot. I just kind of keep it consistent, man. I, I, uh, I, uh, I'm just, I don't really worry about who I'm wrestling or, or, or what the tournament is. I just worry about what do I need to do in order to prepare physically so that way my body is ready to go through a barn burner every round because you don't know which round it's coming. Um, could, you could have someone overperform and, and out-wrestle their seed, or you could have someone underperform and, and kind of not perform the way that you're expecting them to. And so you don't want to sleep on anybody, and you just want to approach every single match the same. So whether it's someone who's not seeded or it's someone who's the two seed, it's I'm ready for a grind, I'm ready for – a dog fight every time and I'm worried about making sure that I'm not being lazy in my hand fight and that I'm credibly active, keeping guys off of my collar just because I feel like for me specifically, that's when guys are moving me and I'm uh, just actively trying to control something on the inside, whether it's a wrist, whether it's an underhook, whether it's an inside tie, whether it's a collar, and then making sure my freehand, the one that's not controlling something, is 
actively moving or trying to create space so that way I can get to my attacks. And so um, I'm just trying to work to wrestle to the best of my ability and focus on wrestling every single position as best as I can. Yeah. I'm not really worried about who it is or what round it is just because my job's the same every time, right? If I'm wrestling every single position to the best of my ability, regardless of who it is, then I should be all right. Yeah. Uh, two, maybe three-part question, right? When you when yep. you were in high school, did you ever, in your training or, I don't know, laying in bed or walking, doing whatever you are in your day or sleeping, mm. Did you ever picture yourself winning a state tournament? Same thing with high school and nationals, right? Did you ever, like, I don't know, visualization, maybe they would call it, you know, picture yourself winning the NCAAs? And, and if, same question about now and Worlds and, worlds and Olympics. Yeah, so um, I definitely pictured myself winning states as a high schooler. Um, I definitely pictured myself winning NCAAs as a college athlete. And I definitely am picturing myself – winning a world championship. And it's weird because I feel like the more confident you get and the longer you're in the game, you kind of see how you, you progressed and, and aspects of your wrestling evolve and just kind of how things just are more effective. Like your shots are more effective and, and uh, you're just more efficient at, winning a position and you're not overexerting energy, you don't have to exert and you're still able to get to the score. And, um, but I think also momentum is huge. Uh, I think, you know, my goal coming into college was to win four national championships, which didn't even come close to happening. I only won one, but my redshirt junior year, even though I was in the round of 12, I had a lot of momentum going into my senior year. And in my senior year, I had a tremendous amount of momentum going into the NCAA tournament. And my goal was always the same, but I think the momentum just builds the confidence and the confidence begins to snowball. So it goes from being already a snowball to just becoming a huge snowball. And it just continues to get bigger with momentum, with specific wins, with <clears throat> tournament titles. And um, I'm at a point now where it's like, I think, you know, my first senior level competition was 2019. I never competed at any senior level tournament until 2019, um, which is crazy to think about. That was only my second U.S. Open ever. <laughs> yeah. And, it doesn't uh, feel like it. And no, it doesn't feel like it, right? Um, because 2019 was my first senior year of senior level competition, first year on the senior circuit. And then 2020, you have COVID. And then 2021 Olympic trials and I had already qualified for Olympic trials because of the Bill Farrell in the December yeah. of 2019. So I didn't go to the open in 2020 and then <clears throat> the Olympic trials. And then I didn't compete for 12 months. My first competition was Bill Farrell. And so now I'm like back again. And I'm like, man, it feels like I haven't been competing at the senior level that for that long, but I've been training at the senior level for almost four years now i think it's like three and a half going on year four and it's like um i'm not gonna sit here and just wait until i think i've had enough experience or until i think i'm as like i've been training to this level long enough i've been around the best guys i've gotten to train with the best guys i've gotten to go to the world championships twice as a training partner 
I went as Kyle's training partner in 2018 and I went as Jaden's training partner in 2019. And so I've got to see all of it. And now I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I just, I feel ready. You know, I'm like, I'm done waiting and, and I'm okay with however long it takes too, right? Like may not happen on the first attempt, may not happen on the second attempt, but it's going to happen. And I'm going to, I'm willing to take as many, many shots as, as I need to until it does. You know what I mean? So I'm uh, I just, I just feel ready. You know, I feel confident and I, and I'm ready to just in, begin to embrace that next level instead of just kind of like, ah, oh, you know, I'm not there yet. I think I need more experience or, oh, I think I need more competition. I think, and you know, you tell yourself that all the time. And now it's like, I'm not even going to tell myself that anymore. It's like, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready. And that's all I've just been telling myself. It's just, I'm ready. Freaking love it. Freaking love it. Um, I want to change gears real quick and talk about yeah. NIL, name, image, likeness. Oh, um, dude, we could talk about this for days. <laughs> yeah. Yo, I've been having all types of conversations about this stuff. Well, give, give me uh, give me one of the – you don't have to say who you were having it with necessarily, uh, but what, what was the topic of one conversation? Um, dude, it's changing everything. Um, and it's scary. Um, it's obviously the NIL deals are specifically pertaining to football and basketball, but it's indirectly going to affect non-revenue sports, especially sports like wrestling. You got um, – the regional training centers, which play a huge role in giving senior level guys opportunities to pursue their dreams. But the relationship between an, a regional training center and the college program is symbiotic, right? They, they, they're, they help each other. So the college program athletes get to train with senior level athletes. And so in turn, that helps their development. They get senior level feels. They get used to wrestling senior level guys, hand fights a step quicker. Uh, your ability to recognize what your opponent's trying to do is a step quicker. And uh, you wrestle every position a little bit better. The technique's a little bit sharper. And so, you know, you wrestle a senior level guy, then you wrestle college guys, and you definitely can feel a little bit of a drop off. And so in terms of development, that helps tremendously. But then also, you know, it indirectly gets to help with recruiting because high school kids have Olympic dreams as well. And they, if they see that a program has a strong regional training center, they're like, man, I definitely want to be a part of that, you know, because I have Olympic aspirations as well. And then not just that, they see who's in the training center and they're like, man, I would love the opportunity to train with those guys. Um, but the thing is you have to fund a regional training center and it happens through fundraising and it happens through donors and it happens through fundraising events. And now that's changing with NIL because now the fundraising is shifting focus. The fundraising isn't just going for RTC. And now the fundraising, the type of fundraising changes as well. And now it's shifting towards college athletes. And I think it just changes the dynamic of everything, right? Now you have college athletes that are getting paid money, like uh, senior level athletes, which is fine. You know, you want these college athletes to, to have financial opportunities, but I think it's going to put college coaches and programs in a situation where they have to decide. Um, they're either just going to have to raise more money to fund both, or they're going to have to figure out what takes more priority and how to reallocate resources. And that's going to be 
it's going to be very specific to each training center and college program. One college program might not have to think about that as much compared to another. And so it's going to vary staff to staff, program to program. But I think it's just, it's just, uh, it's just really complicated and it's going to take a little bit for everything to kind of figure itself out. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I, yeah. It's wild. I, it, the, the reallocation of resources is where, where I'm like at too. I'm like, there's only, you know, there's X amount of money that's when people are going to fund donate or there, there's only the pool is only so big. Right. right? And it's and, not like it's a pro sports team either, where it's, you're getting a, an ROI, right? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a donation. It's 501c3. It's a tax exemption, right? So it's a write-off, but at the same time, it's like, you're not getting money back. Right. The donor. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's crazy. And they're coming up with these collectives, right? The different schools are coming up with like the alumni associations. But I think even as soon as I yesterday. I think the collectives will help, but it's just going to be interesting how how it just changes it. Because everything's unregulated. And I think, too, what's going to happen is you might have college athletes that get upset. Like, oh, well, such and such is getting paid such and such. I've been here for three years and I'm making nothing. It's like. And I've outplaced so-and-so. And then, so ideally in a perfect world, you have your your college guys that are like, you know what, this is my program. It's all right. This is what I already have. I'm not really worried about that. I'm just glad that we got this guy. But there's always going to be some individuals that are going to care about that more. And so, like, do you lose guys? Do you keep guys? Does that affect your, your retention and, and your ability to retain some of your best guys? And does it become more of like a – less of an amateur atmosphere and more of a pro atmosphere where now the priority goes less from like for the college athlete, does the priority change from, you know, recognition and performance to just chasing the bag? Yeah. Does that become the priority and all they care about? And now they're willing to just go to whatever program just for whatever amount of money. And so it's like, I think that would frustrate college coaches too, depending again on the program and the staff and the athlete. But it's going to be well and, and it's going to be all interesting how it unfolds and it, it will definitely change um you know one thing is like if we're reallocating these resources so let's just for example say you had to take a slice of the rtc pie and give it to what however it happens to get to these nils um yeah what about when these athletes graduate and then they want to stay and wrestle for the rtc like are you are we going to still pay them the same or, is, or are, are you going to get take a pay cut coming out of college pay cut you know what i mean yeah um, yeah yeah no it's uh it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. i was getting this now yeah and i think honestly the regional training centers are huge 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 i think from my perspective you look at the college programs that are in the top five that are winning team titles i think those programs i think it's evolved to where the programs that have senior level guys training full-time are the ones that are performing the best right and i think um, you know, before there were even RTCs, you look at, um, programs that had like, I think, uh, OSU had Kenny Monday and all those guys training yeah. out of the, the OSU room. I think Iowa had Roy Salger and they had a bunch of guys that had wrestled for the program that were still sticking around training full time, you know, winning world championships and like that training in the college room and Ohio state the year they won a national championship as a team in 2016 their regional training center was 
massive, and they had like five guys on the world team. You had uh, Travell, Kyle, J.D. Bergman, Angel Escobedo, Reese Humphrey, yeah. Keith Gavin. I mean, all those guys are either yeah, current Bunch. college head coaches or RTC head like coaches, and yeah. or still training. So it's like, uh, and then Penn State obviously I think has right now the best regional training center. I mean, they have four Olympic gold medals in their room right now, and obviously they have won team titles back-to-back yeah, pretty nine, consistently. Nine, nine, ten, so, whatever it was. Yeah. and But you look at Princeton and the NJRTC, and you look at the development of that college program and how that's progressed. Um, yeah. I think that RTC has definitely helped the development of that college program. And I think they have a phenomenal staff too, right? I think that staff does a good job and they work really hard. So I think it's a combination of both. But I think, like I said, they complement each other. And you look at the depth of USA wrestling from, so like I'm on some of these committees and we talk about this past year was the year we've had the most medals we've ever had in USA wrestling history. And we we're beginning to build a lot more depth at every weight class where instead of just having a really good number one and two, and it completely drops off. Now we're starting to have guys that two, three, four guys that aren't even on national team right now that still perform at a high level that are still winning. Like, Hayden Zilber beat Andritsev, who was the 2012 Olympic yeah. silver medalist overseas at a tournament. You know, it's like, and he's not even our world team guy. And so Colin Moore beat, um, what's his name? The Iranian. Didn't he, didn't he beat that guy? He's not our world team representative. Um, I'm, I won U.S. Open. Technically, I'm not even national team because I finished fourth at Olympic trials, not third. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think – USA wrestling is entering an era where we're starting to get really, really good and get a lot of depth at multiple weights, which I think is amazing. And I think that's why our top guys are outperforming because they have to. If they don't get better, the next guy's up. <laughs> yeah, nip at their heels, man. It's it, iron it, sharpening iron. It's iron yeah. sharpening iron. If you don't continue to improve, the guy behind you is. So, because we're all hungry. And I think protecting the regional training centers is definitely an important aspect of USA wrestling's perspective, because the more medals we get as an NGB, the more funding we get from the USOPC, the more funding we get from the USOPC, the more we can do as an NGB to create opportunities for our senior level athletes Mm -hmm. and just grow and just the sport. And I think the more medals we get, the more younger kids get interested um, and that's where 75% of our revenue comes from, uh, as an NGB is from membership. So getting kids just into the sport, the youth level is really where we grow. Hey, but don't forget, you and know, getting metal helps that. sometimes more money equals more problems. True. <laughs> no, I, I agree. It truly is. It's like, gold, it's, a, yeah, okay. it's, it's a golden era of wrestling. Um, Kyle, I know people talk yeah. about the nineties being a golden era. How does this compare to maybe any other era? Uh, and we are. We're, now, we're winning medals like crazy. That era is unreal, yep. too, though. Yep. Klingman, what do you think? How's today stack up with any other era? We're, we're right there. I mean, the you could look at the 90s. You could look at uh, 91, where we had, I think, six finalists out of 10 weight classes with John Smith and Zeke Jones and Kevin Jackson. Brad Penrith was in there. But, um, you're hitting up a, a pretty great era right now. So I think the, the early 90s, early 80s was good. But uh, we had a, a lull there where I think Obi Blanc was our top place winner at ninth place in 2010. 
And then Jordan Burroughs era came along and he started winning gold medals. But uh, we're, we're in the, the thick of it, man, going first, second and third from that quad from 17 to 19. It's been uh, it's been good for Team USA. Heck yeah. Heck yeah, man. And um, Kyle, while you get the floor, man, why don't you why don't you wrap this thing up and uh, see if you can't make Mike Mock sweat? I'm excited about this, Mike, because we have our game sweated out. I've actually given you an extra question just because I like you so much. You talked about the 2018 World Championships. That's really the first time I got to know you. So thought I'd spice it up a little bit and give you an extra question. So if you're ready to play, I am. Yeah, I'm ready to go. All right. Number one. So we'll preface this by saying that your coach, Pat Papalizio, calls you the mayor because you talk to everyone at airports and wherever you go. So my first question is, who is the mayor of Raleigh, North Carolina? Good question. Um, I know who the governor is. I don't know if I know who the mayor then is. Count. <laughs> <laughs> Who's then the governor? Her, oh, um, go ahead. Roy Cooper. Roy Cooper is governor of North, Co- North yeah, Carolina. The... the uh, 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 I, somebody's making it out of you. Can I phone a friend? Can I phone a friend? Yeah, yeah, you can phone a friend. Yeah, Marianne Baldwin. <laughs> it is. <laughs> oh. oh man, someone just held up uh, uh, the the answer from Google and zoomed in on. <laughs> showed it to me. That is fantastic. That's great. That's great. All right. Number two, you placed third at 2013 Flow Nationals. Who did you lose to in the quarterfinals? Oh, wow. Chip Ness. Yep. I will never forget that one. Was it close? Yeah, it was close. That's why I won't forget it because I was winning. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, yeah, I got taken down like the last like bit of the third period and uh, tried to come back. Got in on a shot and time ran out and uh, and I lost. So... That sucked. What, what year would that have been? Would that be like an Indiana PA? Yeah, it was Indiana PA. It was 2013. All right, yeah. I think that's the first year we did it there. Yeah, that was actually the first year I met Yanni. He was an eighth grader. He didn't place. My high school coach actually, I guess, was teammates with Aaliyah. And we went up and trained at G2 up in Rochester for the week before we went to Flow Nationals. So we trained with them. One of my high school teammates was working out with Yanni. I was working out with one of the upperweight G2 guys. And we just saw him everything like, oh, man, this kid's tough. And then the next year, he went Super 32. And I'm like, man, what a stud. So like, I've, I've known Yanni since he was like in eighth grade and my high school coach in Aaliyah for a long time, which is kind of crazy because the year I met him was the first year we went to Flow Nationals together. And then my senior year, we both won NCAA titles together. So it almost like came full circle when we were talking about it on the stage. At the, at the end, we were taking uh, pictures, which was pretty cool. Hell yeah. Love it. What are we, two for two, three for three? Well, two, two for two because you two phoned a friend uh, on the <laughs> line of Flow Nationals. Who did you lose to in the 2012 quarterfinals of Flow Nationals? Dang. Kevin Beasley. Yep. He's rolling. 2012? Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. The Drexel, I think. I, uh, it was a Drexel. And I remember I uh, – it was like one zero and I threw a leg in and I was cranking a power half and I was like wrestling pretty tough. It was the second period. And so it was a tight match. He Granby rolled me straight to my back and like to a, I fell into a headlock and I got pinned. 
Thanks for bringing this. Thanks for bringing this stuff up, Kyle. Yeah, well, he has I'm a great memory. What total recall? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go cry after this. Yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe I'll, I'll send you the link. We can check it out. <laughs> Love it. We should have watched that. We should have broken down those matches, Mark. Well, we'll US have him on again next week. We'll, we'll get down with all the losses. <laughs> all right. Number four, name the movie Michael Scott produces in the television show The Office. Yo, that's a tough one. This is definitely the hardest one. Harder than the mayor where you didn't even know who it was? (laughs) I feel like I should know this one more than I should actually know who the mayor of my city is. All right. I mean, if you're giving up. I don't know. I don't know uh, this one. Okay. It's uh, Threat Level Midnight. Yeah, I would not have got that. Okay. All right. Threat level uh, midnight. Yeah. Yep. Wow. It's all right. You, all you right. still we have six questions, so you could get five yet. Uh, number five. What U.S. president does Forrest Gump tell? I got a pee in the movie Forrest Gump. Let's see. He drank a whole bunch of Dr. Peppers. Um, he was killed. Kennedy in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, Kennedy. He goes by his initials. You got it. <laughs> yeah, JFK. Yeah. All right, you got it. And then uh, final Thanks. question, the bonus. Uh, what's the first name of the man you sold your car to at Hannah Imports in Raleigh, North Carolina? What? You stalking him on the internet? Wait a second. What's the name? What? What? What's the name of the guy I sold my car to? Yeah, Hannah Imports in Raleigh, North Carolina. Didn't you sell a car there? Which car was it? Because I didn't sell a car there. My buddy Thomas Gant sold a car there. And it was a challenge. It was Steve. 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 Yeah. yeah, you're actually right, which is crazy to me. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? We sweat more than the question. <laughs> What's going on? That's wild. Holy cow. It's, I mean, I can't tell you my secret. You tell me where you are, I'll tell you how I know. <laughs> but it was Steve. <laughs> oh, he's ruthless. He seems so nice and innocent. What a beast, man. We've actually been, we've been talking like Kyle should needs to do a heel turn. He just needs to go like make, shave his beard down, get a five o'clock shadow and like snarl. Yeah, start carrying around a nine millimeter. It's yeah. just like work for the FBI <laughs> in a bed. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's crazy. Right, so you know where I'm at right now, huh? No, I, I want to know. I don't know where oh, you are. You need to tell you us. Want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, my Venmo is Michael Dash Machiavelli. We'll just and if you send forward. me a couple bucks, I'll go ahead and let you know where I'm at. I'm good. I'm good. No, I'm I, I prefer to wonder. I'm just joking. 
You sweat it out, though. Congrats. <laughs> I did. I did. All right, man, Mark. Uh, that's it's been a, it's been a treat. It always is. From, from man, listening you guys to are awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Books and what you read into uh, wins and whoopings. Um, all right, dude. That's gonna do it. We appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah. We'll give you the final word, but we're we're excited about that world team trials and seeing you out there. But anything you want to say about anything? Um, uh, that's my favorite shirt that you've worn. Thanks. Appreciate Never. it. Yeah, it's yep. one of my favorites too. So awesome, nice. Mark. You have a good one. Good luck in uh and uh Coralville, out in yeah, Iowa. And we'll see you in like uh, ten days or something like that. Yeah, sounds good, man. You guys right, have a good one. You too. Take it easy. See ya. You too. Bye. All right, Kyle. Great show. Great dude. Always loving to hear his perspective on on everything. And this time it was uh it was focus. Right, and, and a lot of a lot of different ways of talking about focus. So, yeah, you ready to rock? World team trials. Ready to rock. Ten days. Yep, and then we'll have some shows leading into that, and then uh, I will see you in Coralville, Iowa. All right, I'll see you there. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bye bye.